So as I was coming to today's message, I thought, well, what happens between Easter and Pentecost is this, that Jesus ascends into heaven, right? That's, that's the big thing that happens in the Bible. And mostly, Christians don't talk about this because it's just a couple of verses in the Bible, really, that, that, that is in the narrative of Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel where Jesus ascends back to heaven. But today, I wanted to talk about, well, why the ascension matters, particularly in the light of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and why does it matter that Jesus ascended? And I feel like during the worship time, I feel like I've just been bathing in the truths of what I'm about to preach, because we've just been singing all about it. It's been wonderful. Uh, but here we go. So we're going to read from Acts chapter, uh, sorry, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. So Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared over 40 days, many resurrection appearances. And then he went up a mountainside with 12 disciples, 11 disciples. And he blessed them. He commissioned them. And he disappeared from their sight as he was taken back into glory. So this is the meaning of it from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 13. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, this is what he's saying. The the, the ascension of Christ happened, and it began something in the life of the church, which the, the Holy Spirit coming is a part of, but it's the beginning of this next stage of salvation history that follows the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And he, he digs in straight away, because as soon as we mention a word like ascension, we, we, it's one of those religious words, you think, what does that mean? So Paul helps us, he says, well, what does ascension even mean unless we talk about his descent? So did you get that in in verse um, 9? It says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He's saying this, that the fact that Jesus ascended, went back to where he was, obviously means that he came from that place down to earth to be with us. It's talking about his incarnation, his coming among us, his his leaving his heavenly glory, his heavenly throne to take on human flesh and to share the human experience You know, some of us, we feel like nobody gets us. You know, Jesus gets you because he took on your humanity. He knows exactly what it's like to be you, believe it or not. And he took on, he says, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He shared every experience that humans can experience. He identifies with us in our humanity. I was watching a a documentary with the family uh, a few weeks ago called The Rescue. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Netflix. It's about, um, did you remember four years ago in, in the news, there was the story of those 12 boys who got trapped in a cave in northern Thailand. Do you remember that story with their football coach? They'd gone climbing into these caves. 
They were several kilometers into these caves, and uh, they started flooding. And every nook and cranny just began to fill with water. And they didn't turn up at home that evening. And people said, well, where are they? And they found their bikes at the entrance to this cave, and everyone began to panic. Feared, dead, missing. An international rescue effort took place. And this documentary is so sweet because it's, it's told by these couple of divers who are from Britain. And, uh, and they're, they're, not, they're, they're not kind of pro- professionals in the sense of they, they're not army or navy. They had na- navy seals at the entrance to the caves. And, and these two divers turn up because they've got the, the national alert. Said, well, we're here to help. And they're, they're brilliant divers. You know, they're, they're, they do this stuff for fun. They kind of climb through rocks, and they, they love danger. They said, oh, can we help? And these Navy SEALs, they said, I don't think you guys can help because we're the professionals, and uh, we, we can't even get you know, hardly any distance into these caves with, with all our equipment. And they said, well, can we give it a try? And so they went in, and they went in about a, a kilometer into these caves, and they found some people. And they said, wow, we've found them. And it turned out, that these people were also trapped, but they were trapped rescue workers. And they said, all right, well, we'd better rescue you. So they, they take these people out. And it's really hard, but they haven't found the kids. And so they go further in, and it gets tighter and more difficult. There's huge torrents of water. It's monsoon season. It's filthy. They can't see anything. And they, they keep going. They keep going. One kilometer, two kilometers, three kilometers, four kilometers. They're, they're in, it's taking hours to get into this dangerous, dangerous place. And they get to the place where everybody has said, they've looked at the maps of the caves, and they said, they said, if they're alive, that's where they'll be. And they get to that place, and they're not there. And their hearts sink, and they think, well, where? where? Maybe they're gone. And one of them says, that they've got limited air, they've got limited equipment. He says, let's go a little bit further. And so they go another 400 meters. And he puts his head above water, and he says, and I just smelt them. I smelt them. I smelt the, the, the smell of human beings. He said, it's unmistakable. And then he shines his torch around and he sees these 12 little boys and their coach. This is nine days later. They've been sat in pitch blackness. And he says, we're going to get you out of here. Now, the, most of the world sat at the entrance to the cave with their cameras waiting to see what would happen. But these two these two guys, they just went in and they said, you know what, we're just going to go and rescue them. Jesus, he went to the very depths of the human experience. He went above and beyond anything that anybody else would reasonably expect to rescue you and me. He paid the price for our sin. He rescued us by dying on a cross and being raised to life again. He embraced the fullness of our fallen human condition. Do you know, today you're not beyond the reach of Jesus because he's gone to the extremity of the depths of humanity to rescue you. But because he descended, he has now ascended. Okay, so this is the good bit. He descended all the way to the depths of our human condition so that he could now ascend to the highest place of all. Um, It says, did not... Uh, put the verse up, please, Chris. Uh, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So the one who took the lowest place has now received the highest place. And he did it for this purpose, not to just say finished, 
but so that he could fill the universe. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus, who descended, is now in the business of filling the universe with his love, power, glory, and presence. The early church understood that, the same, that with the same intent that God became flesh and dived to our depths, he is now Lord of all, and with the same intent is filling the universe with his love, presence, and glory. Now, when the early church would have talked about ascension, the ascension of Jesus, straight away their, their mind would have been drawn to what are known as the enthronement psalms in the book of Psalms, where uh, the, the people of God would take the Ark of the Covenant in Old Testament times, which was the presence of God with them, and they'd come back from battle and they would ascend up the temple steps and they would celebrate that God was not just Lord over them, but he was Lord over the nations of the world. And that he deserved his rightful place at the center of all things. So in their temple, which they saw as the center of all things, they would put the Ark of the Covenant in its position. And they'd say, God has, this is Psalm 47, they said, God has ascended amidst shouts of joy, the Lord amongst the sounding of trumpets. It was like Joyful Noise Sunday, that they would position God backward and they said, he's Lord of all. Amongst shouts of joy, sounding of trumpets. What an amazing, amazing scene. When Jesus ascended, logically, the most important, the, the most the most obvious place he could have done that from would have been the temple, right? Because that's where the Jewish people would have associated God ascending to. Instead, Jesus went up a mountain with 11 of his friends. I find this really fascinating because the temple wasn't enough of a backdrop for the ascension of Jesus to get for us to understand its magnificence. So it's just 11 people worshipping Jesus. He talks to them, he blesses them, and then in a moment he steps into glory, back to where he came from. And, and a cloud of glory just, just takes him from their sight. You know, sometimes when we read those verses, it, all we see is the sense of loss, because we don't see the other side of the cloud, <laughs> Right, so uh, it's my daughter Evie's birthday today. We went and got her a helium bloom yesterday, which was in my car, which we kept there till last night. Julie went out to the car last night, and, and to get the helium bloom out, as she got it out of the car, it just came off its rope and just... <laughs> and we just experienced loss for a moment. <laughs> it's like, well, that was a nice idea, wasn't it? <laughs> Some, sometimes with, with the ascension of Jesus, it's like that, it's like... In fact, the disciples even said, because you know, the, the angels turned up and said, why are you looking up at the sky? And they're like, oh, he's gone. He's gone. Do you know what happened at that exact moment when Jesus stepped back into glory? Although the disciples experienced it as a loss, do you know what was happening? In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, could you put up this, uh, please, Chris? This is Daniel. He, he sees it prophetically. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That's what's going on on the other side of the cloud. Isn't that amazing? Do you know what? As Jesus steps into the cloud, literally all of heaven is waiting for him. 10,000 times 10,000 angels, plus all the saints of old. There's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
And there's Ruth, and there's Rahab, and there's Sarah, and, and, and there's Joseph, and there's, there's, there's all of them there. All the Hebrews 11 crowd, they're there. And they're doing a guard of honor as Jesus walks towards his throne. And the Ancient of Days, the Father, is there. And he welcomes Jesus, and he says, you sit down, son. You sit down. You're worthy. And I don't know if you have watched any of the football finals recently. There's the moment, isn't there, in the cup finals where they win the match and the crowd goes wild, at least the winning team does. And then they give them the cup and they walk along and they get in front of their team. And what happens? They lift the cup and what happens then? It goes wild. What was noisy just goes out of this world in terms of the sense of celebration and joy. That's what happens when Jesus takes his seat on the throne. Jesus is worthy because he descended to the depths. He's now ascended to the highest name above all names. How unlike Satan. Do you know, it says of Satan in Isaiah 14, we think, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. You know, Satan is a self-promoted liar. He wanted, without any of the pain, to experience what Jesus rightfully earned. You know, we live in a world that is all about self-actualization and, and, and being yourself and yourself, being your true self is the best kind of you you can be. It's all about you. Jesus teaches us that the best you is the you that lays down your life for other people because that's what he did for us. Now, so what does this mean? That Jesus is sat down at the right hand of God. Sometimes we see experiencing God as just an ex- a personal experience that we have, but this verse already tells us that God's intent is to fill the universe with his glory as a result of his son having the highest place of all. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave his gifts to his people. So this verse tells us a few things. It tells us, first of all, that because Jesus ascended, all his enemies and all our enemies have been disempowered. He fills the universe by, with his presence by defeating the enemy. He's dealt with all the enemies of God's people. He's disarmed them and made a spectacle of them. And he gives us two things, his presence and his promise. So every Christian can say, along with David, they can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He gives his presence. Do you know, Christians live in a microclimate, even though all around them is destruction and pain. God gives us joy. In the midst of it, his presence, he goes before us, he's with us, he's alongside us. He watches over us, but he gives us his promise that he who believes in him will live even though they die. He says there'll be no more death or mourning or crying on pain. There'll be no more tears. Those things are real in the valley. But he's got a promise that your enemies will one day be all completely destroyed. Here's the the second thing the verse says. 
that he gives us gifts. Did you read that? Can you put the verse up again, Chris, please? The Ephesians 4 verse. Yeah, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. So this verse is quoting from Psalm 68. And uh, if you've got your Bible, you might want to just flick into Psalm 68 because it's very interesting. He misquotes it. Wow, the the Apostle Paul didn't know his Bible very well. Isn't that interesting? No, of course he knew his Bible very well. But he changes a word, which is absolutely fascinating. Because he wants us to understand this verse for for, for the ascended Christ era that we live in. So it's it's one of these ascension psalms, these enthronement psalms. And what it reads in in, in Psalm 68 is, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and received gifts from people. You think, well, that seems to have completely changed. See, in Old Testament times, when a king won a battle... At the ceremony afterwards, people would bring out his spoils and they would present them to him. And I said, here you go. Here's all the stuff that you now belongs to you, that you would give him what was his due. And when, when they would climb up those temple steps to the Ark of the Covenant and they'd, they'd present the Ark and they'd say, well, God deserves the adulation and acclaim of the nations That's what they would sing and celebrate. Well, Paul says, I want you to know something about the ascended Christ. He's not all in it for himself. (laughs) In fact, he's totally changed how it is. When Jesus the king takes his throne, he doesn't do it simply for the sake of receiving the adoration and praise of all people. He does it for the sake of blessing all of humanity with his grace and with his power and his love. Now, first of all, he blesses us. The main gift he gives us is his spirit, his presence. Acts 2, verse 33 says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. This is Peter speaking. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is what Jesus did when he sat down. He said, I'm going to give the church my presence and my spirit so that they can fill the universe with my presence. That's part one. Part two is this, uh, verse 11 of Ephesians 4. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So this is the second part of God filling the the universe with his glory. He wants to fill his church with his gifts. For God's universe to be filled with his glory, it begins with God filling his church with his gifts. Okay, so his church is meant to be a place overflowing with the gifts of God. And he, he lists some of those gifts there. God's plan for filling his church is to give an abundance of spiritual gifts. And let's be clear that that any gift that God gives, whether it sounds amazing or not, if it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's an amazing spiritual gift. So here's the five we read about here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, you can count if you like. See see if we get more than two hands, right? So we've got five so far. Then uh, Romans 12, he says, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. Up to 12 so far, okay? 
Then uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we get wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helping people, administration, and guidance. (coughs) How many was that? I don't know. 23. And most commentators say, actually, there's no conclusive lists in the Bible. There's probably more than that as well. Isn't that amazing? In the church, God wants to pour out his gifts. Do you get the sense of that? Just reading all those verses. Wow. He's a generous God, and he loves to pour out his spirit. And often in the, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, they're often, the gifts of the Spirit are often called manifestations because they actually show us who God is. They show us his generosity and his grace. You know, God didn't make us to be solo artists. He made us to be a, a, a joyful noise assembly, didn't he? I wonder if you've heard that hum of the engine when all the bits are working correctly together. I wonder if you've heard that choir where every person is singing their beautiful harmony together. I wonder if you've seen that canvas where every shade and color and detail is reflected. Well, see the glory of the ascended Christ filling his church because that's what he's doing. You know, sometimes we can lose confidence in our gifts. Some of you here are like, well, I felt like I was getting to grips with my gifts. And then I, here's, here's just a, an, an application point. I've noticed that when you have a change of season in your life, you, you often, that's often accompanied by a diminishing of confidence in your gifts that God has given you. So that can be going from high school to university. It can be going from university to your first job. It can be going from being single to being married. It can be having your first children. Uh, It can be retirement. It it can be any sort of change of stage of life. And and you can just feel, oh, I I had a confidence and and it seems to be diminished because my life is changing. Do you know one of the great applications of the ascension of Jesus is that that he hasn't changed? (laughs) Who was it who shared that? That was amazing. Cat Karras. He hasn't changed. He sat on the throne. He's ascended. He's never going to budge from his throne. He's always on his throne, and that means his gifts are always given to his church. And the gifts he's given you, they're still there. In fact, he actually is more generous with you. The the longer you live, the more he loves to lavish his generosity upon you. If you're lacking confidence today, see him there, unchanging, in his love for you and his commitment to pour out his spirit in your life. And it says in verse 12, it says, he, he, he gave these gifts to equip his people for works of service. The end goal of gifts isn't a spirit-filled church, but a spirit-filled world. So that Christians everywhere, wherever they are, I love Peter's message a few weeks ago as he, he shared what it looked like to be salt and light, to be God's spirit carriers into workplaces and into the world. God is equipping us. Take confidence. You know, sometimes when we, when we look through these gifts... Uh, I don't know about you, sometimes I, I, I look through some of them and I think, oh, I like that one. <laughs> I like that one. Mm, healing, yeah. Love that one. Miracles, oh, yeah, definitely. And then you, you get to some of the others and you think, administration, really? <laughs> Helping? <laughs> you think, is that, is that even a gift? Mercy? You know, some of them sound so inferior to some of the more exciting ones. But, you know, God gives us... God doesn't call these tools, he calls them gifts, because they're actually displays of his love towards us. 
Do you know, every one of these gifts is, imagine your Father in heaven gift wrapping it and giving it you on your birthday and you opening it and it being just what you wanted. You know, we don't always see the usefulness of every gift that somebody gives us, but then they come into their own. We all love a practical gift, don't we? And well, God gives us the best of gifts. So God, uh, he, he gives us his, his gifts. Um, he gives us his spirit. He gives us his gifts. Here's the third thing he gives us. He gives us his plan. This verse seems to be saying that the work of filling the universe with God is only just beginning with Jesus sitting down in heaven. And I got thinking, well, why does he particularly mention these gifts here? Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And here's my conclusion. See if you agree with me. I think these are great commission gifts. These are gifts when you read Matthew chapter 28, which we're going to be talking about in, in months to come. We're going to do a whole series on the Great Commission later in the year. But it, when, when you look at these gifts, apostles, they're sent ones. Prophets, they're the ones who come alongside and say, God is with you. In this journey, and Jesus promised, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Prophets are the ones who keep reminding us that the impossible is possible and that God is with us, which means anything can happen. Evangelists share the good news with people. And pastors and teachers, they, they disciple and they shape and they teach people. All of these are a necessity in the Great Commission. And therefore, we need more of these gifts. So as we long for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, what are we longing for? Sometimes we we imagine that for God to fill the world with his Spirit, we just imagine a cloud descending or something. Actually, what it looks like in New Testament terms is this, God giving us gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and many other gifts as well, and sending us into the world. It looks like more small groups being started right across our city. It looks like more churches being planted right across the Lothians and Fife and Scotland and the world. Therefore, as we pray for more of the Spirit, let's pray for more of these gifts. I was just—I've been chatting to a few people recently who who got sent out from us in years past, and they're now planting churches or leading churches elsewhere in the world. The the, the, the guys who went to West Lothian, Dave and Libby Hill, now starting a started a community there in West Lothian. I was chatting to uh, Tom and Tineke Kleinhout, who were here years ago. They, they went on to The Hague in, in the Netherlands, and they planted a church there. This week, they've just moved to Rotterdam to plant another church. Daniel and Sarah Duggan. Daniel was an elder here. And they've just, uh, well, they moved to Vancouver a number of years ago, but they're, they're now in Burnaby, Vancouver, and they're planting a church just there. What are they doing? They're filling the world. with the, they're, they're, they're in the mandate of the ascended Christ, who is filling the world with his glory. So that's what the ascended Christ is doing right now. I've just got three really quick application points, okay? You still with me? Okay, good. Good, good. Right. So here's my application. Ready, steady, go, okay? This is Marathon Sunday, isn't it? And uh, if I thought about it, we could have done like a starting pistol or something, Um, but we've got traffic lights, so that's okay. So ready, 
Red light. It means this. Get ready because things are about to change. Well, here's what the Bible says about readying yourself. It says, be eager. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. To be ready means to be asking. The Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And Jesus says that's especially about the Holy Spirit in Luke 11. And then be prepared. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, even when you gather together as a church, it says, don't wait for somebody else to do all the stuff. It says, when you come, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. We, we, we had a fun experience in small group last month where um, we, we decided that we wanted to have a worship time, and Kieran agreed to lead worship, but Kieran didn't have any time to prepare to lead worship, so he said, well, I don't have any time to lead worship. And I said, well, why don't we try something? Why don't you just play the guitar, and then everybody else starts the songs? And we had a hoot, didn't we? It was great. Because everyone just got their songbooks, and... And somebody said, well, should we sing this one? And somebody else just started that one. And somebody else read a scripture. Somebody else brought a prophetic word. It was like 1 Corinthians 14. And God came among us. Because I want to encourage you next Sunday to come eager and ready. Right, um, be steady. This is about focus. When that light goes amber, it's time to look. Don't look at what's happening in the world. You'll get depressed. But look at what Jesus is doing, and keep your focus on him. And this is what we're encouraged to do. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. As we focus, we're to ensure that we pursue what is right and what is good. Now, Paul's particular concern when he says that our concern is often, ooh, is it okay? Is it right? With the gift of the Spirit, we're often, you know, we're often the best critics, aren't we? We're like, oh, that was a little bit off. All gifts in the New Testament are imperfect, but Paul's advice is, well, don't overfocus on the stuff that's imperfect. Focus on the really good stuff and make sure that if somebody prophesies or somebody uses a gift, a teaching gift, or whatever that gift is, Make sure that every little good bit that you got from it, you apply in your life. And particularly, leaders are required to show discernment in, in, in those gifts as well. Um, so good question to ask. Is it biblical? Is it helpful? Does it help us worship Jesus more? These are good things to do as we discern and as we ready ourselves. Here's the last thing. We go. So Jesus... It says of Jesus, he was led by the Spirit. He lived in the power of the Spirit. It says he was filled with the Spirit. It says he was filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. And it says in this verse that of himself that he was anointed by the Spirit. And as we read this verse, just think for a moment what it looks like for us to be Spirit-anointed people as we go says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what happens when the spirit comes on us. One final thought. 
about the ascension of Jesus. Do you know the very last thing the disciples saw of Jesus was him blessing them. And then he, he disappeared. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if his hands were like this or like this or like that. But do you know how you often have a last memory of somebody when you saw them last? Well, this is the imprinted picture they had in their head. Jesus was blessing them. Do you know what the ascended Jesus sat on his throne is doing to his church right now? He's blessing us. That's still his disposition. And it has been from that day, and it will be until he comes again. So today, let's stand and let's worship. Let's experience and receive the blessing of God, which he has earned and which he has chosen to to bless us with. Amen. Let's just stand before God for a moment. Just see him there, Lord of all, King of kings, majesty. Maybe today you've been resisting his his right lordship over your life. There's a moment just to bow the knee. I just felt for, for some, just as I was talking about losing a sense of confidence, I, I just felt God just say, let's, let's just pray for, for those who have just lost confidence in the gifts that the ascended Christ has given them. So if that's you, we're not, we're not going to move around the room or anything, but just, just lift your hands. If, you'd, if you just feel I've, I've lost some confidence in the gifts that God has given me, just feel that as we pray now the spirit is just going to come and fill you and touch you if there's somebody next to you and they've got their their hands outstretched and and just feel free to lay a hand on their shoulder and just minister the spirit now to one another hallelujah thank you lord thank you lord for these dear brothers and sisters said Jesus if you ask for bread I won't give you a stone so Lord I want to pray for every every lie that has infiltrated into these hearts and minds every enemy tactic to discourage and to prevent you filling the universe with your glory by hindering the gifts of God we We break off those lies now in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we know one of the things you do is you fill us with boldness. So Lord, we just pray now that you'd fill each of these dear ones with boldness in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'd fill them with courage. And Lord, I pray where seasons have been challenging, and where storms have come and they've lost confidence, I want to pray, Lord, actually they'd find that those storms have matured these gifts and made them even more useful to you. So give them confidence, give them courage. Lord, I pray that they would begin to step out 
again in faith. And there is a, there is an action point there for us as well to begin to step out in faith again. For those of you, if you just feel like you've stepped back a bit, it's time to step forward again. Hallelujah. Just on that point of confidence, I think we can just sometimes lose sight of of the one who, who gives, the one who gives the Spirit, the one who gives us his gifts. And Dan has so helpfully drawn our eyes again to the ascended Christ. We have these these barriers to confidently asking and receiving from God. Is he, is he, is he willing? Is he, is he able? Is he willing to give to me? Is he, is he, is he able to, to fill me with his spirit? Well, he is so willing. He laid down his life for you. And he is so willing to grant us all things, to fill us with his spirit. So he is willing and he is so able. He is seated on his throne above every principality power above everything Christ is seated on his throne and has all authority to pour his spirit out on you today to give you fresh gifts of the Holy Spirit to empower you to walk with him just keep asking him and receiving from him let nothing hinder you from asking boldly and receiving confidently from the one who is willing and able to pour himself out to you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I want to just encourage you this week to keep fixing your eyes on the ascended Christ. Keep drawing your confidence from who he is and where he is and what he has done. Keep asking and receiving. Amen.